Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. How you doing, Stevens Creek? Doing good? Man, it's good to see you guys. Will and Suzanne in the house. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be back. I mean, I'm excited. It's Time Change Sunday. Welcome to those of you who thought you were coming to the 1030 service and just got here by mistake. Wherever you got here, we are glad that you're here. You know, Time Change Sunday has a special place in my heart, in my history here at the Creek. A few of you that have been around a while, maybe you know the story. One of, one of my first sermons ever here, man, I was just starting out, just starting out. Twelve years ago, on Time Change Sunday, uh, I was, it was my turn to preach. Marty had put his trust in me, and I was not going to let him down, and, but I did let him down because I forgot it was Time Change Sunday, slept in, was having just a nice leisurely morning until uh, Michael Adams, Dorna Adams' husband, Dorna's on staff here, his, her husband showed up at my door. Uh, I didn't even know he knew where I lived. And I opened the door and, hey, buddy, what's going on? He's like, hey, Dave, you know what day it is? I'm like, yeah, it's Sunday. He's like, it's time change Sunday. And you're preaching, get in the car. So we sped to church. I got here just in time. Poor Pastor Marty was in his office going through old sermons looking for something that he could get up and preach at the last minute. And that day caused so much anxiety, I believe, that this is the first time change Sunday in 12 years that I've been invited to preach. And I just want to say thank you, Marty, for believing in me. I was not going to miss it. You guys have no idea the lengths I went to to not be late today. We left from Texas 6 a.m. on Friday morning. Four children and a dog in the minivan. We drove all day. And we arrived here at 11.30 p.m. Same day, Friday. And, and And I spent yesterday just recovering from that and setting alarm clocks all over the house. Just to be sure, I was up earlier than Amish people this morning. I was like ready to milk the cows, whatever needed to be done. I was up, had it all ready to go. And then my parents have an old car here in town that I was going to use to drive to church this morning. So I get in that car. My timeline has worked out perfectly. And I get in and I turn the key. Nothing. I took an Uber to get here on time to be with you guys. Because that's how much I love you. Invited him to church, left a good tip and everything. So, Mr. Uber driver, if you're here, God bless you too. Thanks for being part of the story. It is good, good, good to be here. And I am always thrilled to be be back back home. And it is, as Pastor Marty said, it's our home for Ashley and me, for our boys. Uh, It is is home. And we love you guys so much. I'm excited in this series, this mini-series we're in called Beyond Blessed. Understanding what it means to live a life that's truly blessed. Which is something we all want. And even better, it's something God wants for us. But the path to getting there and what that blessed life actually looks like is maybe sometimes a little different path than what we think it would be. And we're going to open up the truth of God's word in just a little bit. And we're going to discover what that looks like uh, in our life. But first, I'll, get, I'll give you kind of a, an example uh, from my own life that, that leads into this. So I was, uh, I was at the doctor, you know, recently getting a checkup when we first got to Texas and and noticing that just I kind of had some aches and some pains because I thought it was just from being, we just kept having kids and each kid gets a little harder. Like I had, when I was 30 years old, I had, we had a four-year-old and that was no problem because at 30, everything works great in your body, you know, or at least mine works pretty good. 
now I'm 40, and I, I look older than that, I know. That's what kids do. And I have a four-year-old now. And it's a completely different situation. So here's, here's our young guy now. We've got four boys. Here's the youngest. Colored in marker. Like, that was not staged. He just found a marker and did that. And I took a picture. Precious, precious, fun kid. But now carrying him around, it feels different than when I was carrying my first four-year-old around. Because now I'm kind of to the age where if I'm carrying him and I drop something, I have to really think about if I want it. Because it's going to cost me something to bend down and pick that up. Like, it, 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 hurt, it, it hurts. You feel it the way you did. Some of you, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm, do we need that toy? Is it littering if I just leave it there? Did anybody see? So, you know, you, it's just a different experience. And then to make it worse, I went to the, the doctor around the same time. And they weigh you and they measure you. And they have this, this chart, this satanic chart called the BMI. You guys heard of this? And they're like, well, sir, you're, you're not very tall. On, so on the chart, this is your height. But your weight, your weight is too much for your height. And I'm like, wait, you don't know what's going on in here. You don't know how much this is supposed to weigh. But the chart says they do. So I'm looking at the chart and I'm like, well, maybe you're looking at it wrong. Maybe I'm the perfect weight. I just need to grow to be 6'4". I'm just like, haven't hit my growth spurt yet. But they, they weren't having it, so I'm like, well, man, maybe I'll try to lose a couple pounds. But I didn't want to do anything crazy. Because I don't even think Christians are supposed to be that skinny, right? There's just a lot of feasting in the Bible. I don't want to get so skinny people think I'm not a Christian. So I just wanted to do, like, little things. So I thought, I'm going to switch to the lower-calorie Hershey syrup. I'm not going to give up Hershey syrup. That would be crazy. So I found this, simply five, simply five calories, I could eat all I want. And I was putting large amounts on everything until Ashley one day was like, sweetie, you're using a lot of Hershey syrup. And I'm like, sweetie, it's, it's okay. It's simply five calories. But my wife, who pays more attention to detail than I do, says, no, 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 no. It's simply five really, really, really small ingredients. Way more than five calories. So I wasn't reading the actual label. I just saw the part I wanted to see. And... You know, I was wondering why my love handles were not shrinking, but it was things like this. So why do I tell this story? The same thing I did with this Hershey's label, we do with the Bible, I think, right? We, we look at the part we want to see, simply five, it's simply five calories, but we don't actually read the whole label and get the whole truth. We especially do this in this area of blessing. What is a blessing? How do I get a blessing? Because I want to live a blessed life, but we have this really narrow view that doesn't come from reading all of God's word. It comes from our own kind of bumper sticker slogans and from just highlighting certain passages and putting together our own ideas about what blessing really is. And then saying, God, would you just bless me? Would you bless my work, bless my meal, bless my life, bless my relationships? But he's given us a pathway in his word for how to do it, but we ignore it. We ignore it because sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. God's not trying to trick us. There's no fine print anywhere in the Bible. It's all printed in the same font. It is all the same size. It's right there for us to be able to, to receive and apply to our lives. He wants you to live a beyond blessed life. But to do so, it's going to require a, a process that's maybe different than what you expected. And he, he lays out this process for us all through Scripture. Mostly through the real lives of real people and what they did in their faith and then how they received God's blessing as a result. And so we're going to look at the real life of one of these real Three, uh, one of these real people today, his name was Abraham. If you have your Bible uh, with you, you can open it up to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at the story of one of the guys who really is not only a hero of the faith, but kind of a father of the faith uh, for, uh, for all of us who call ourselves uh, followers of Christ. So Genesis chapter 22 begins out like this. 
Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. You see, that's a word that, you know, I've highlighted here, but it's probably not highlighted in our Bibles. God tested Abraham's faith. Why would God test somebody's faith? Is that really necessary? I've called this whole sermon blessed through the test. And I've called it that because as, as I read God's word, not only the story of Abraham, but you know, all of God's word, all of the people God used in the Bible, I am so convinced of this principle. God will almost always bring testing before he brings blessing. But we don't like to think about blessing in this way. We just like to think about it as like, well, I don't really have to, I don't, there's nothing I do. I just, just receive or I, I pray for like, God bless me with that Lamborghini. And then it just shows up, you know, like if I was on the prices right and it just showed up. But God's pathway is something different. It's something far better. Because even through the testing, he's doing something in us that's going to help us. And everybody in this room, by the way, is going through some kind of a test right now. Everybody, every man, woman, child in this room, there's some kind of test. There's some kind of struggle. There's something in your life you're wrestling with right now. And how you respond to that test, it's going to make all the difference. Abraham experienced a test unlike anything that probably any, any of us can relate to. I mean, as far as we know, it's the only time God gave this specific test to anybody. And to read it on the surface, it's a shocking story. It's a horrifying story until you get to the end and you realize what God was doing the whole time. So here's the test God gave to Abraham. Abraham, at this point in the story, was 100 years old. Actually, he was past 100. But when he was 100, he had waited all of his life to have a child because God had promised him, Abraham, through you, I'm going I'm to birth a great family. And through that family, I'm going to birth a great nation. And so Abraham was waiting for all these descendants. And he and his wife, Sarah, had been barren. They had not been able to have children. And now they are decades past childbearing years. And Abraham continued to believe. You know, God promised it. It's going to happen. And sure enough, God made good on his promise. And, and Sarah, miraculously, in her old age, became pregnant with their son, Isaac. They named him Isaac, which means laughter, because the whole situation was both joyful and ridiculously funny at the same time that they're, they're in diapers and so is their kid. It's like just a funny situation. But God is good. God is good. And he brought forth that son. And Abraham was a great dad. He did everything for his son, so much so that Isaac became the most important part of his life. So much so that, that his relationship with Isaac had become more important even than his relationship with God, perhaps. And any blessing in our life, if we're not careful, if we misuse it, if we look at that blessing in the wrong way, we can replace worshiping the blessing for worshiping the one who gave the blessing in the first place. And we've got to be so, so careful about this. That God wants to give us good things, but he doesn't want those good things to replace him on the throne of our heart is what matters most. And we're led to believe that Abraham had, had gotten to this point, that Isaac, that that blessing, that promise had now become, in a way, more important than God himself. And so God gives a test that is just unimaginable. God tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go up on Mount Moriah where there's an altar that you've built to sacrifice animals to me. This was in the Old Testament where animal sacrifices were still happening. They would sacrifice a lamb or a bull or a goat as a way to, to provide a, a, a sin atonement, a blood offering to God. Now, this was all to foreshadow what Jesus was going to come and do uh, a thousand years later when he, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, the Lamb of God, would give his own life as a sacrifice and his own blood would once and for all cover our sins forever and ever. God was, he was foreshadowing in that, what was going to happen. But in this stage in history they would still do the animal sacrifices. So God tells Abraham, I want you to go up on that mountain. 
I want you to make a sacrifice to me today. But instead of sacrificing uh, an animal, I want you to put your son Isaac on that altar. I want you to sacrifice him. Can you imagine? You, you, imagine, you guys are looking at me like, this is in the Bible? Like, yes, this story is in the Bible. But it doesn't play out maybe how you think it's going to. So Abraham and Isaac begin this long, painfully awkward hike up Mount Moriah where Abraham has got to be waiting like, God, I'm going through the motions here, but surely this isn't from you. Surely this is not what you really mean. And Isaac, the whole time following his dad, probably 11 years old at the time, saying, Dad, where's the animal we're going to sacrifice? We usually bring one with us. And over and over, Abraham keeps saying, my son, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. The Lord will provide. So they get all the way up to this altar. And he's looking around, waiting for God to say something. There's nothing. So he lays his own son on this altar. Can you imagine what was going through Isaac's brain as he's like trusting his dad in, in the most uncomfortable moment of his own life, thinking, what is happening? And Abraham is, is waiting for God to do something, and there's no stopping him yet. And so Abraham, just trusting God, that God would not ever lead him or his son down the wrong path, pulls out his knife to sacrifice his son. And the angel of the Lord in that moment stops Abraham and says, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a finger on the boy. Don't touch him. Don't harm him in any way. God has seen, he has seen that you trust him. And the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, whenever the angel of the Lord appears, most biblical scholars believe it was actually a pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus who has always existed. But before he was wrapped in flesh, born in a manger in Bethlehem, that he appears as, as the angel of the Lord. It's, it's God, it's, 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 it's God the Son speaking to Abraham. And on this same mountain, by the way, Most scholars believe the same mountain where Abraham had built his altar a thousand years later would go by a different name and that same spot would be called Calvary. They believe this is the actual same spot where God would do the one thing he would never ask any human father to do, where God would lay his own son on an altar, but this time the altar would be shaped like a cross and this time there would be no stopping the sacrifice. And Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the Lamb of God, would willingly completely willingly give his own life to make atonement for our sins. God was, he was showing us his goodness. He was showing us what he wanted, what he ultimately was going to do out of love for us. And so Abraham, with tears in his eyes, picks Isaac up off that altar and holds him and kisses him. And there they see that God had provided. There was a ram that was caught in the thicket and they, they, they sacrificed the ram. And this is what the angel of the Lord says to Abraham in Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me. Now stop here. If you want to pass the test in life, whatever test you're in, it really comes down to two things. Will you trust God and will you obey God? That's all he's ever asked for. Abraham is not a hero of our faith because he was smart, because he he had the perfect resume, because in any of those kind of things, He's a hero of the faith because he trusted God and because he obeyed. That's all God's ever asking. That's what faith is. It's not a feeling. It's not this mystical feeling that kind of comes and goes. It's not just this, this goosebump feeling we get when we're hearing our favorite Christian song on the radio. It's, it's none of those things. It's, it's a choice. It's a deliberate choice to say, God, I will trust you even when I don't understand. I will obey you even when I would prefer to do things a different way. That's what Abraham did because you have obeyed. Not because you're a good person. 
Not because you're, you're my favorite person. None of those. Th- because you chose to trust and obey. And you have not withheld even your own son, your only son. God said, this is what I will do. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. He was blessed through the test. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. So did God fulfill that promise that his descendants would be like stars in the sky and sand on the seashore? Well, genetically, did you know that every Jewish person on earth, because Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. Abraham, uh, Abraham had Isaac. That son Isaac went on to have Jacob. Jacob went on to have 12 sons who became the fathers, the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from those 12 sons came the kings, came David who wrote the Psalms and Solomon who wrote the Proverbs. And down through the lineages, a thousand years after Abraham came a king who would be called the king of kings. Born in the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob came a baby boy named Jesus through whom the whole world, the whole world has been blessed. And in terms of spiritual descendants, man, it's all of us. In terms of physical descendants, do you know that every Jewish person and every Arab person on earth traces their genetic ancestry back to Abraham? So this man who was barren now has billions of descendants. God's promises are always true. But it all was a blessing that flowed out of that simple desire to trust and obey God. Every step in Abraham's life, he was put in a position where he had to trust God. And he did before he saw what God was doing. First, God said, Abraham, leave the land you've known. Leave everything you've, you've, you've known. Go to this completely new place that you've never been. And he stepped out in faith, like, like Will and Suzanne have done. Step out in faith. Go to, go to a completely new place in faith, and God is going to bless you guys richly. He really is. Abraham steps out in faith. And God says, uh, all right, that's good. Now here's the next test. It was one test after another. And Abraham just kept trusting and obeying. That's all, that's all he did. And he was blessed so much because of it. Same thing he asked of us. So here's the question as we kind of transition into the next phase of putting this into application. Here's the million dollar question. Is there anything in your life you're not willing to give to God? Anything. Any part of your life that's off limits to God. Is there, maybe it's your money. Maybe it's a certain relationship. Maybe it's a certain sin habit in your life that you've kind of justified because you think, well, it's not that big a deal. Is there anything in your life that's more important to you than God? Because that's the very place that it, it can... It can become an idol. We've got to be so, so vigilant. Because we, we're children of Abraham. We've got to behave the same way. We're children of Abraham, maybe not gen- genetically. You know, maybe ancestry DNA says, well, you're not technically a descendant of Abraham. But God says, no, the descendants that I care about, it has nothing to do with the blood in your veins. It has to do with how you're united by the blood of Christ. The New Testament says this. So God trusted a- Abraham. Or so Abraham trusted God, rather. Again, there's that word trust. Trust and obey. It's real simple. Like, we overcomplicate faith. We really do. We overcomplicate what it is. And it really comes down to saying, God, I'm, I'm going to do your things your way instead of my way. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust you even when I don't see things clearly. I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. I'm going to obey you even when I would do things differently. 
I'm going to do things your way, not my way. So Abraham trusted God. It was credited to him as righteousness. So when we trust God, God says that's righteous. It's not just all these good deeds we do. It's simple faith. So understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So if you put your faith in Christ, then that blessing God promised to Abraham, that blessing that's unbreakable for eternity, I'm going to bless you and your descendants forever. It's not, a, it's not a, just a blessing like genetically saying the real family that's going to receive eternal blessings are those who are part of the same family of faith. You're Abraham's descendants. You're part of God's family. If you did what he did, which is to trust God and obey God, we're all in the same family. That's why heaven is going to be just this beautiful picture of every tribe and tongue and language and ethnicity and background. And we're all united as brothers and sisters in Christ, not by the, the, the blood of our earthly DNA, but by the much more important eternal blood of Jesus Christ that ad- adopts us all into God's kingdom. And man, that's, that's a beautiful place to be. And that's where our identity really is. That's what God really does, you know, want for each of us. So we're going to, just a minute, I'm, I'm going to get to, to uh, kind of these other fill in the blanks. I know there's like kind of two groups of people in here right now. There's one group of people that were like, yeah, that's a really interesting point. I mean, he could talk longer about that. There's another group of people with pen in hand, like most of the fill in the blanks we've not even gotten to yet. This is a terrible sermon. I've only filled in like one underline. When is he going to get to the rest of these fill in the blanks? Some of you don't even know there are fill in the blanks and that's cool too. God loves us all. He loves us all. But for those of you who like to fill in the blanks, we're going to get there in a minute. I just want you to have faith. I want you to trust that we're going to get there and we're going to get out on time in Jesus' name. I just might, might have to rush through it, but we're going to get there. Before we get there, one quick, quick story. Because I think sometimes we look at these Old Testament guys and we're like, man, that doesn't relate to my life. Like, he got tested, but what, what does that look like for me? I mean, I'm not, I mean, what is my, what, what test am I going through? There's always going to be a test. Always. Are you going to do things God's way or your way? I'll give you an example of kind of a, a dramatic one with some people that we know. Here's our friends, Scott and Leah Silveri, uh, that we, you know, we do some work with. Scott and Leah, this is us interviewing them on our podcast, uh, the Naked Marriage Podcast, because they have a, a marriage ministry for police officers' families, because Scott's a retired police officer. They call it Blue Marriage. And I love that, that they're helping first responders in their marriages. It's great. Now, but before they got married, they had like very different lives. This is the second marriage for both of them. And before that, they were kind of living a very different life. So this is Leah. They're just wonderful people. Leah, before this marriage and before she came to faith in Christ, uh, she was living a, just a different, a different life and a very successful life by the world standards. She is a writer. She's an author underneath the pen name Liliana Hart. And Liliana Hart had dozens of best-selling books, uh, but they're not books you would find in the Christian section of your bookstore. They, they were uh, very wildly popular, but very, very graphic, uh, erotica, even pornographic in her use of language to paint these vivid, sexualized scenes. And she sold a lot of books. She made a lot of money. She was a big hit in that world. And as a person who wasn't really following Jesus, didn't see any moral problem at all with what she was doing. It was just a way to make a living. But then she went through a painful divorce, and the, the, the divorce kind of took her from having a, a good amount of wealth to actually kind of wiping her out, and she now didn't have any money. And through that process, she came to faith in Christ and realized, man, God has a different plan for me than what I've been living. 
and I want to do things differently. And the first part she was convicted on is, I, I can't write books like that anymore. I mean, that's leading people into sin. That's, you know, that, that's not, not what God would have me to do. And that's the only way I know how to make any money. That's, my, that's been my life. But she felt like God was saying, well, trust me on this. So, you know, her and Scott, you know, get married and, and they're kind of starting their life together. Scott, through his career, you know, he hadn't really honored God in a lot of ways that he'd become a workaholic. Uh, he, he had just kind of worshipped his work. They both really had. They, they'd worked seven days a week. And so they felt like God was testing them saying, this is one way I want you to realign your lives. You guys have never honored a Sabbath day. I don't want you to just start now taking one day a week. And worshiping me and honoring me and resting and, and working on your relationship with each other. But I want you to give me every Sabbath day you skipped. Which they're like, what, what does that look like? And so they went back over their adult working life and realized that there had been about six months worth of Sabbath days. You know, that they had totally skipped because they weren't honoring God with any part of their life. And they felt this, this was a test from God saying, I want you to six months not work. And they're like, but God, we don't have any money. Like, like our money's dried up, our income, we don't have any money right now. And, and we've got still a few mouths to feed in the house. I mean, this, this can't be from you. This is crazy. And God's saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to honor me. I want you to trust me as your provider. Six months, you rest, you worship, and you, you work on your relationships. That's what, that's, that's what I want you to do. That's it. And so they committed to do it. And they're like, we're not sure how we're going to eat, but we're going to try this. We're going to trust God. And so they, they, started, they started their rest, their six-month Sabbath. And little by little, like these little checks would come in the mail. Not big checks, but little checks for, oh, you overpaid on this. Or, you know, here's a, here's a check you were owed. And it was always just enough to kind of keep food on the table and keep lights on. They're like, man, isn't God good how he's providing? Slowly but surely, they, they felt their, their spirit just kind of finding this peace because they'd worked so hard for so long in the world's way that, that now they were experiencing this freedom to look at life and work in relationships in a different way. They, they spent so much time reading God's word, which they'd never really done, and realizing all the good things he had in store for them. They spent so much time with their family and with each other, and, and amazing things started to happen. But then they got to the end of the six months, and they're like, well, now we've, 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 we've got to figure out what life looks like. And I don't know how really to make any money. I can't go back to writing the books that I was writing. I've, I got to do something. And then something happened in Liliana's or Leah's, you know, brilliant mind. She realized that these six months that she'd been spending with her husband with nothing else to do but talk, she'd learned everything there is to know about law enforcement. He'd been an undercover officer. He'd been a detective. He'd been a chief. He'd been all these things. And this idea was birthed in her head about a new series of novels that wouldn't be about sex, it would be about crime. It would be about a lead character who's a female detective named J.J. Graves. And as soon as that six months was over, she started writing. And these books started pouring out of her at a rate that she'd never written before. And she connected to this new audience and even a lot of her old audience, which now loved these completely new books that were written in a way that were still honoring to God. And now we're making money for the family. And I called them just like a month ago and like, hey, where are you guys? You're like, you won't believe it. We're in Hollywood right now. And we're meeting with producers today who are all wanting to take this new mystery crime series and turn it into movies or a TV show. And God is just blowing our mind with how he's providing. And not only that, but we're able to be a witness out here in Hollywood to a bunch of people who are in the old world and old life that we were in to say, no, man, that money you're chasing, I'm telling you, it's not the answer, but we found Jesus and he is the answer. And you won't believe, you won't believe what the blessed life can look like when you're following him. And so I'm so thankful for these guys, Scott and Leah, they're the real deal. 
But I think that all of us are going to have times in our life where we face the test. And so kind of, you know, very quickly, I'm going to run through these uh, for those of you who really love to fill in blanks. This is for you. Three main categories. Um, One is financial. One is in our relationships. And one is what we do when life throws us the painful test. It's what we do when we're hurting that often impacts our faith more than anything else. So finances. We're blessed through every financial test when we realize God owns everything and we're only temporary managers. God owns everything. And because God owns everything, it frees us up from thinking that we have to have the stress of accumulating more or we have to have the stress of worrying about every penny or being miserly. It allows us to be generous. And we know God already owns it. I'm just a temporary manager. I can't keep it. I can't take it with me. But what I do with it in this life can impact eternity. I think that this faithfulness starts with the tithe, which Marty preached on last week and did a a masterful job explaining biblically what the tithe is, giving that first tenth, that first fruit of everything back to God, even though he owns it all. But we start there. Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. God's saying this area of your finances isn't just an area where I'm testing you. I'm asking you to test me. Test me in this, God says. So, guys, test God in this. Trust him with the tithe. Most, most Christians, sadly, never get to that level of trust. They never get there. They make a lot of you know, reasons why and excuses and compromises. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not judging you, but I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out. I mean, I could like in a condemning way say, well, you're robbing God. And in a technical sense, yes. But just as importantly, you're robbing yourself. You're really robbing yourself of the blessing that God wants to unleash in your life when you align your thinking, your living, your life, and your finances his way. And I've got no ulterior motive to tell you to tithe. I do not get a paycheck from this church or any church. But I believe in this. I believe in this with every part of me. And, and I believe it because God makes it so clear. Jesus says a lot about money because he knew that it would potentially be the very thing that we allowed to make more important in our lives than him. So Jesus uh, says this, No one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, money's not evil. In fact, the Bible has a lot of instruction on how to build it, how to invest it, how to make it, how to work hard. And God wants to entrust financial resources to you. But it's not to enhance your standard of living. It's to enhance your standard of giving. He wants to be able to trust it to you because he knows you will use it wisely to be a blessing to those in your life and and to fuel and fund the work of ministry. So don't feel like money is evil. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil because in pursuing that first love, many have pierced themselves with, with many, many just pangs, unnecessary pain and drama in their life. So don't make that your God. Make God your God. All right, secondly, relationships. We're blessed through every relationship test when we treat other people the way God treats us. Again, all these things are about doing things God's way instead of the world's way. The world says, make as much money as you can and spend it all on yourself. God says, realize all, everything belongs to God and be a, a good steward of what he entrusts to you. Relationships, the world says, treat people the way they treat you. If they're good to you, be good to them. But we're like, but if you're bad to me, I will cut you. I mean, like, that's just the world we live in. It's like, I keep score. You cut me off in traffic. I'm going to be watching. I'm, I'm going to key your car if I see where you park. You know, we're, that's, we just, 
we live in that kind of mindset. And Jesus is like, no, that's no way to live. That's how the world lives. I'm calling you to do something radically different. This is what Jesus said. This is, this is one of the toughest passages in the Bible. He says, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. He gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the just and unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus says, don't be like the world. And even godless people in the world know how to be nice to people who are nice to them. But you do what I do for you. I give you my best when you're at your worst. I forgive you when you're unworthy. I love you when you're unlovable. Now you go and do that for others. People will know that you're one of my kids when you do that. And finally, through pain. The hardest tests of all are the ones that hurt. And we're all going to have painful tests. They're going to be... We live in a broken world where sadly there's cancer and disease and divorce and bankruptcy and there's injustice all around. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. And one day Jesus will come and once and for all make it right. He's going to set all things right, make all things new. In the meantime, we live in a broken world and there will be parts of your life where your heart will be broken. And what you choose to do with that broken heart can mean the difference between a joyful life and a bitter life. Between a faithful life and a very rebellious and angry life. We're blessed through every painful test when we choose to trust God instead of blaming Him. When life hurts, you can either shake your fist at God or you can open your arms to God and say, Lord, Father, hold me. Hold me through this. And He will. And when we open our arms and our hearts to Him through the pain, we experience His presence like never before. The Bible says so. God is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So how do we live our lives? We trust and obey. That's how we pass the test. That's how we're blessed through every test. If God's promises, his blessings, they aren't for the religious elite. They're not for the academic elite or the... Any of, he doesn't care about any of that. He just wants you. He just wants you. And when he asks you to put something on the altar to give it back to him, it's not even because he wants that. He just wants you back. So that you can realize that his presence in your life is the greatest blessing of all. The one who gives the blessing. So what is, what is it in your life that you need to give to God today? What is it in your life that you need to trust him to control? It's really what it comes down to. Just trusting, trusting him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. He will show you which path to take. And if he hasn't shown you which path to take yet... It probably means stay right where you are and keep trusting right where you are, looking to bless people right where you are until he opens up that next door. He's got such good things in store for you. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I thought about telling this like really emotional story at the end because I'm like the Hallmark Channel. I love making people cry for no reason. Like I just, it's a spiritual gift of weeping. But I'm not going to do that today because I think we make too many decisions in emotion. And God doesn't want you to choose to trust him in an emotional decision. Because again, faith, faith isn't a feeling. It's a choice, a conscious choice to trust and obey. And so with clear eyes and clear heads and clear minds when we pray, I just want you to deliberately ask the Holy Spirit to come and say, Lord, show me what in my life, what in my life am I holding back from you? What's that part of my life that's blocking all the blessings you want to give 
to me so that I can be closer to you? What am I not trusting you with? Show that to me today and then give me the strength to give that to you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this church. What a blessing they've been to my family. I pray for every one of us, God, that whatever it is in us that we're not completely trusting to you, that we'd have the courage to let that go today. I pray for those here that don't yet know you, that first and most important decision of their faith and their eternity is to trust you. And today can be the day that begins. And in their own words, they say, Jesus, save me today. I'm trusting you. I will obey you. I want to do things your way and not mine. Make me the person I was meant to be. Save me. Adopt me into your family. Thank you, Lord. I love you. And for all of us, God, that's our prayer. Help us trust and obey. Help us live the amazing, beyond blessed life and eternity you have for us. And not to settle for anything less. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.